Good to see you. Glad to be here. It is, it's fun to, to come back and see in snapshots some things that you guys see in moving pictures. And I was I'm still looking. I, I, I stopped this young Finrood and said, are you Trace? He's like, no. Uh, but but I, I, I'm anxious to see Trace because uh, when I taught Sunday school, I guess he was two. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Mandy and I were thinking. We were doing a two-year-old class. Those people are crazy over there. They're crazy. Um, but Trace was the most energetic and delightful student I, I, I had. And one, I remember one day teaching, and the lesson had to do with worship. And they were sitting in a circle, a uh, semicircle, and I was sitting on the ground with them, and we're, we're teaching. And during the lesson, Trace just gets on his forehead. He, like, leans forward. And his hands are up, and I'm like, that's the worship leader's son right there. <laughs> Talking about worship, and he's trying to show the other kids how it's done. And, and I think he was, like, mumbling some stuff, too. Anyway, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. So I told Ryan afterwards, and he's like, no, he just has a hard time sitting still. <laughs> oh, I really thought my lesson was penetrating that day. But it's, it's fun, and not only Trace, but uh, others, uh, Reagan walked by, and I stopped her, and she was in charter with my oldest son. She still has the exact same face. She's grown up, but there, there she is from the, the Reagan I remember. In your bulletin, there's three questions um, that I, on Monday, assumed would be the three questions that I would use for this passage. I emailed Scott LeGraff last night and said that that's not the case. Now, you'll still get answers to these questions, but I'm not going to use them to, to guide the text. The, the more prep I did, the more it just made sense to me to go through the text. It's a, it's a tough text anyway. And I think trying to fit it into those three questions, we're going to lose some of the text. And so rather than do that, let's, we'll just move through 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6. And as we do that, uh, you'll see... Why would we test, and who are these spirits, and, and, and how do we test, what tests would we give? All of those will come, but, but more than that will come too, so I hope. So let me pray for that to happen, and, um, and then we'll get into 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which is 1,023 in your pew Bible, if you want to use it. It's where I am this morning, so that we have the same uh, version on the, on the screen as in my hand. Jesus, I ask for your help. I ask for us to lean into you. I love the words we just sang. I ask that we would choose joy in this moment. We would choose you and that you would get our attention and our affection and that even looking into your word would be an act of worship where we invite you to change us and help us to be more like you. Help me to articulate correctly the truth of this passage and let the truth of the passage shape us all. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let me read the first six verses, then we'll just go back to the top and work through them and see what God wants to show us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses 
that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, verse 1, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have come out into the world. Now, we have a situation that, that, that they, they had a situation that we don't have. They had uh, false prophets in the congregation of the church talking about Jesus may not have come in the flesh and may, may not have died as people thought and, and, and some incorrect doctrine that uh, we sort through pretty quickly. But we still have uh, false prophets in our day and age. And, and you're a false prophet for one of two reasons and sometimes both at the same time. You're a false prophet when you teach wrong doctrine or you teach correct doctrine with wrong love or better to say no love right? A, a wrong agenda. So the wrong doctrine, the, the, the truth, the wrong, the falsehood is God doesn't exist or Christ didn't come in the flesh or our prevalent one, you should believe in yourself. You should just believe in yourself. That's all you need. Any problem you have, it's probably lack of faith in yourself, which is so ironic, right? Do you, I mean, even in the sentence, there's irony. Any problem you have Okay, so I've got a problem. It's only a problem because you don't believe in yourself enough. But I have a problem. Why? No, I, I, see, I am the problem. Just believe in yourself more. No, I'm the problem. Just believe in yourself more. It doesn't make any sense, right? But that's the prevalent uh, gospel of America and the, and the West right now, right? And so you go to bookstores and you have self-help, which is also ironic. Why do you need to read that book? I have a problem. Well, I'm going to read that and help myself. But you're the one who has a problem, right? So the Christian faith uh, tells us and the Bible tells us that since we have a problem and deeper we are the problem that we have, we need an other and an outer to help us. We don't need an inner and a same to help us. We need an other and an outer. And the other and the outer is Jesus Christ. And, of course, he sends the Holy Spirit. And guess what the Holy Spirit does? He comes in and he becomes inner and he becomes same and he starts revolutionizing our heart. But it starts with other and outer. So we still have wrong doctrine today. But what's more prevalent is that in churches you have uh, false prophets because you have truth with, with no love. You have an agenda um, and all of us do this sometimes, and you become a false prophet when you do this all the time. And that is that you can, you can tell the truth without being loving. You can preach a sermon without being loving. You can sing a praise song without being loving. You, you can grow a ministry without being loving. 
And it's a, it's a nuance, but it's very important. And here's what it is. Anytime we do something where we're using Jesus as a bridge to get to something else, we're operating in falsehood. Because the Bible makes clear Jesus is not a bridge to get to something else. He is the target of that something. Let me give you, and it's a nuance, but think about it. How many times, even a, a false thinking, do we think, okay, I'm going to use Jesus to get forgiveness versus I'm going to repent and get forgiveness to have Jesus? Do you see the difference? I'm going to use Jesus to get to heaven versus I want to go to heaven because that's where Jesus is. And it seems, the shift seems so simple. But the heart, is the, there's a major difference in the heart. And we have people all over, all of us do it sometimes, and we have people all over that do it almost all the time, who the falsehood that they promote is that Jesus is a bridge that gets you what you want. Well, what you want are really the gods in your life, and you're using Jesus to get other gods, and he won't be used that way. He is the target. He is the almighty God. And we can use repentance to get to him, but we cannot use him to just secure us what we want. And so we become false prophets when we do that. We're operating under the world's rules when we do that. And I think that's the, probably the most prevalent that you see today in the church. To add, let me add to that, because if, as if that's not troubling enough, because I, I see your faces like, wow, that's troubling so let me trouble you further. Because uh, I have to check. Think about the, the, spirit, the, the spirit of the gospel is self-sacrifice for God's glory. Right? If, if we surveyed a thousand churches, maybe we could find one who, who had that spirit. Because too often, almost all the time, the, the first goal of a church is the same as the first goal of a business. Now, it's not the first goal we put down. It's just the first goal we operate with, and it's this. The first goal of almost any institution is this, continue to exist. It's the first goal. What do we want to do? We want to just continue to exist. And what do you have John the Baptist come along and say? I must decrease so that he can increase. I mean, if John the Baptist, I know this is kind of off First John, but it's, it's, it's still under false prophets. John the Baptist, if, if, his, if his role was to just exist, he wouldn't have told Herod, hey, don't sleep with that woman. For job security, he'd have stayed out of that. <laughs> right? And so we have to, I have to check my own life, and you have to check your life, and we have to check church life, because oftentimes our first goal is continue to exist and we're following someone who gave his life. Do you see the disconnect? And so all of us sometimes operate in falsehood, and some people all the time, and Christ calls us to repentance. Verse 2 and 3 say that by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and which is now in the world. Now, this is the toughest part of the, the text probably because we know when we read it at face value, we know we're like, well, it doesn't, it can't mean that, right? 
and it, and it doesn't mean what it sounds like it means in English because confess uh, means something else in the Greek. The word is homo logos. We, have that, we, we know what that means because we know homo means the same and we know logos means word. So it means to say the same word. And it is best defined as endorse. It can even mean praise. So endorse is probably a better, a better um, understanding there. He who belongs to, to God endorses that Jesus came in the flesh. And he who doesn't belong to God doesn't endorse or praise that fact. Because we know we could find somebody. We could go out and find somebody and bring them in here and say, I'm going to pay you $100 to say that Jesus Christ came into the flesh. And he would say, Jesus Christ came into the flesh. And we'd give him $100. And we would be idiots to think that now he's a believer, right? I mean, Jesus says many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and yet not follow me. So we have to make sure all of this reconciles, and it does, because the word confess is stronger in Greek than it is for us in English, and it just happens. Greek is a dynamic language, and it has, you know, it's like if you go to Alaska, they got 14 words for white, because that's all there is there. They need nuance, right? We don't need to know the 14 different whites, because we just have one. But in Alaska, you've got 14 colors, they're all white. Uh, to them, they're 14 colors. And so Greek's like that. It's just more nuanced. And so sometimes when we translate it, we only have, we just say it's white. And I say, oh, no, not exactly. It's actually the eighth white, you know. So confess is the best we've got, but it, it's this understanding of to say the same thing, to be in agreement with, to endorse, to, to live in t- with the praise of and the cooperation of. It's what, we, it's what the rest of the Bible tells us it ought to mean, right? It's what the context of Scripture tells us it ought to mean. And the bright line isn't, so the bright line isn't confession. The line you draw on the sand and you say, okay, these people are true followers and these people are not true followers isn't a statement. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Instead, it's love. And I I told Dr. Cagle this morning, I I read this passage in isolation, just the first six verses, a lot of times preparing for the sermon, and and I thought, okay, but how do you test? So we're supposed to test the spirits that are in these false prophets to make sure that we're not cooperating with the world. Okay, I get that. How do you test? And I kept reading verses 1 through 6, 1 through 6, and I thought, oh, it's not in there. And then, you know, sometimes you're banging a head against a wall, and then you see there's a doorknob, and it's a door, and you should just walk through it. And I thought, hey, maybe I should read the whole chapter. Well, there it is in verse 7. And I don't want to take away from the next week, but you can't really understand verses 1 through 6 without verses 7 and 8. Because he says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God. Doesn't that sound familiar? Whoever confesses is over here. Whoever doesn't. Then he says, whoever loves. So he's lining up. This is a beautiful thing that Scripture does all the time. John is lining up doctrine and doxology. Meaning, if you believe a certain thing, you should have certain affections. And, and we disconnect these too often. 
But he says, if you really believe this, if Jesus came in the flesh, you really believe that, you can't go about not loving people. And, and the Psalms tells us this pattern. You know, when he says, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. You have it right there, doctrine and doxology. What's the truth? This is the day that the Lord has made. What's the reaction? I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you cannot separate truth from affection or love. They go together. So 1 John and Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount and Paul elsewhere all line up to say, if you believe what you say you believe, you will love the way Jesus loved. They, they cooperate. So the bright line is love. And Jesus loved us before we could love him back. The Bible says God brings the sun up on the just and the unjust. So we love in humility instead of pride, which you can't love in pride anyway, right? You can only love in humility. Verse 9, I know I'm using this text to interpret the other, but verse 9 says, this is the love of God, how it was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son for us. So here's, here's the, the test of whether we believe what we want to believe. And none of us do this all the time, but we have to, to be striving for it. Here's what most of us do. It's a great sin. It's a great sin. I do it too. And we have to be repenting of it. Here's what most of us do. We determine how much we're going to love people to the degree that they are like us. Which, by the way, is just idolatry and worship of self. But, but think about what we do. We meet someone, we don't instantly love them. We want to learn about them to see how much we want to love them. And we will love them to the extent that they are like us. Aren't you glad that Jesus don't, doesn't love us to the extent that we are like him? Instead, Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Here John is describing the love of God. It's almost as if since God is love, which he's going to say later in the chapter, God just lives with the switch on. Just the love switch is on. And I wonder how our lives would change. They would certainly change to reflect Jesus better and to line up with doctrine better if we did the same. If we decided, I'm going to love everybody I see today. I'm just going to love them. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus makes fun of our normal logic. He says, uh, don't just greet those who greet you. Don't the Pharisees do that? What reward have you if you just do that? And that's what we go about doing. But if the doctrine of Jesus came in the flesh, because it's not a mantra, it's a truth. Jesus came in the flesh. What does that mean? God left his throne. A, a, a place where angels had hands lifted to him, singing 24-7 worship leaves and comes to the flesh where laid in his life, headed to the cross, hands are lifted only to come down across his brow. So that love, God's expression of love is a descent. 
It's to become lower. And for us to say, you know what, I'm just going to love everybody today. Whether they're like me, whether they're not like me. I think I'll just decide to be like God and descend and love. And that's when the truth, Jesus came in the flesh, comes out. And that's difficult to do. Impossible to do. It's supernatural. Jesus has to help us through the Holy Spirit. And, and then we can recognize good doctrine and we can recognize when people are loving. Now, verse 4 is good news. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Who have we overcome? Well, either, and it doesn't matter because they're together, the false prophets or the antichrist spirits, which the false prophets are, are living under. We have overcome them because, or for, he who is in you the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, the Antichrist spirit. So I get to the point reading this text thinking, man, I got to do a lot of study to know, to, to test these spirits. I got to do, and, and obviously study is important, but I love verse 4 where he says, little children. He doesn't say Christian geniuses, you know, help the little people understand this. No. He says, it's so good. It's so gracious. He says, little children, you've already overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, little, little children, because we come to faith as little children, we come to faith. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can't even operate in my kingdom. We come with a childlike faith, and he comes in us, this other and this outer that we need so desperately to solve our problem of sin, comes in us, and then... We just have him telling us truth versus falsehood, love versus hate. It's awesome. And the, the idea here is we don't have to study the counterfeits. We don't need to know what the false prophets are saying. We don't, we don't need to, to, to study that as much as just be in tune with the Holy Spirit. I assume it's true. I, I heard it on the radio, so maybe it's true. I mean, if you read it on the Internet, you know it's true, but... I heard it on the radio, that whenever you study to be a federal agent to catch counterfeit, uh, counterfeiters, that you don't study counterfeit bills. You just study real bills. Because if you know the real bills, everything that's not that is counterfeit. And if you study counterfeit, you're just chasing, oh, the counterfeit's always changing. And I thought, man, what an example. That, that's what God is telling us. Look, little children, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Just bask in his presence. Just, just strive to be like him. And then when falsehood comes, you're going to recognize it. You're just going to know that's not the real thing. Instead of having to study all the falsehood to recognize it. This, this happened to me. While I'm studying this text, I had to apply it, which was great. I was watching a debate on, on the Internet between... Uh, William Craig and Sam Harris. Sam Harris is a, an atheist who, they're called the new atheist now because they have an agenda. You know, they, they, they evangelized, for lack of a better word. They want other people to be atheist as well. And, and he had such a good argument. He's, he's had, you know, he's got a 20-minute speech, and this was his argument. And I thought, oh, my goodness, 
That's, that's enticing and sounds, how do I defend against that? Here was his argument. He said, all of our morals are simply an extension of our instinct for self-preservation because all of our morals are good for us. I thought, and I did a stupid thing. First, I thought, well, I'm going to think of a moral that's not good for us. Then I'll have them. And I was trying to think. I was like, man, it's good for me not to lie, and it's good for me not to steal. and it's Man. And then it was so good. It was like, maybe all our morals are good for us because they came from a God who wants what's best for us. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go with that one. But I didn't have, like, this great answer to what he said. And what it boiled down is that there, he's, he's going to have faith in his direction, and I'm going to have faith in my direction, and I just pity. <laughs> I'm tempted to, to quote Mr. T. Just pity the fool <laughs> that, that sees, okay, all these things we're supposed to do that are right are good for us, so it must mean that we evolved really well. Oh, man, why not that we have a God who understands us and we're fearfully made and, and everything he tells us is for our, our good. And so I had to, and, and I didn't apply it as a spiritual genius. I didn't have an answer, but it was verse 4. It was just like, little, little child, don't, don't worry about it. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I love you. I care for you. I got this. Of course everything I tell you to do is for your good. It's like, okay, awesome. Verse 5 and 6 says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So like attracts like, right? You live in the world. You live without love. You live in falsehood. You will attract and be attracted to people who live in the world without love and with falsehood. But you live in the spirit, you live out of love, you live for truth, and you will attract and be attracted to other people who live that way. And as, you know, the the darker the area you're in, as far as spiritually dark, the, the more satisfying it is to find someone of, of kindred spirit, to, to find another Christian. I, those of you who have traveled kind of know this sensation. You, you, you're in another country and no one speaks English and then you hear someone speak English and you're like, oh, I got to meet them. And you care where they're from and you're like, you would, you know, if everyone was speaking English, you wouldn't even talk to them. But we, we, we seek out like versus like seeks out like. My wife and, and my family and I just returned from a skiing trip in, in Colorado. And while we were in, like, day four or something, day three, anyway, we were into our trip a while. And around the corner comes a guy named Madison Jacobs who goes to A&M but, but grew up at Woden. And I baptized his two brothers, and I pastored him for three or four years. And, I mean, we went nuts, you know. We, like, he's, he's, of all places, we're going to see you 600 miles away, you know, and we haven't seen you in all these years, and, and giving big hugs and going, just, what? what? How are you here? And taking selfies and sending them to his mama, and look who we saw. And I thought, man, that, 
that's just ridiculous except for in that circumstance. I mean, no one did that this morning because the people you saw, you just kind of assumed they'd be here. Wouldn't it be ridiculous? You come home at the end of your day and you're like, wife, it's so good to, you know, but, but we just, we make these assumptions. But here's, here's what I think the gift that God might give us is. Because is, Jesus says at the end of John 15, I think it is, might be 16, I think it's 15. Jesus says, He's going to give us the greatest gift. It says, he prays for us, and he prays this. Let the love, talking to his dad, he says, let the love that you have for me be in them. So that someday, forever and finally, the truth and the love will all line up. We won't have any falsehood. We won't have any lack of love. And we will worship Jesus with white, hot intensity forever and ever and ever. That will be the gift that he gives us. The worldliness will be gone, and all that, that are there will be like and connected. I think it's, it's similar to what happened when, when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and Elizabeth said John the Baptist started doing cartwheels in her womb, that, that, that he was... He knew something special was there. And I think that, that this is the kind of life God invites us to, to live in through this passage. That it's not a negative application. Here would be the negative application. Beware of false prophets. Beware of lies. And, I'll let, and you can see that in the passage. But here's the positive application. Embrace truth. Embrace love. You don't have to worry about running from the evil and the wrong if, if you're living in the middle of the good and the love and Christ. And I think that he'll give us this gift not only to recognize false prophets, but way beyond that, this gift of recognizing beauty and truth and love and seeing it for what it is and loving it and embracing it, and having a whole different kind of life. I teach theater, and I feel like God's put me on the planet to do that. And one of the great American plays is called Our Towns by Thornton Wilder. It's outstanding. One of the critics says that Thornton Wilder whispers sermons in his plays. And in the play, someone asks another character, do you have, they live in a small town, and they say, do you have any culture here and any art? And he says, no, ma'am, not the way you might think, but we like to watch the sun come over the mountain, and we like to watch the seasons change, and we pay attention to the birds. And later in the play, another character says, does anyone recognize life while they're living it? And the other character says, no, maybe saints, maybe poets, but nobody really. And I feel like this text, beyond just saying, beware of false prophets, is really an invitation to live life and notice it as you live it. To realize Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And let that be revolutionary. Let that totally change you. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, so I'm going to go 
I'm going to descend and love others. Jesus Christ came into the flesh, so I'm going to, to live with that truth beating inside me and loving people the way that truth should make me love people. So it's an important, wonderful passage. Tradition tells us that, that John, he lived to be older than any of the other apostles. He died a natural death, and all the rest had their lives taken violently. And so there's tradition that, that someone wrote down that they went to a service where he was preaching. He was in his early 90s and had to be carried. He was just kind of, they had made a bed for him, and like six guys, three on each side, carried him through the congregation. And he just preached a one-sentence sermon to people as he went. He had reached out and he said, children love one another. And they'd take them to the children love one another. Children love one another. And they just moved them through. And in the traditional text, they include someone asking him, Pastor John, why that sermon? Why would you say that? And he said, there's nothing else to say. Because we know love one another. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And any study will show you that that's one commandment, not two, right? It just means love. And we cannot love without the truth because the truth brings about that love. We want to sing about the cross. The band can come up here to prepare for that. But that is the place where we find this love. That is the place where we find this transformation. That Jesus Christ descended from a throne to a cross. And so as we sing about it, I, I, I hope that, that we'll experience what the text allows us to experience. That truth will bring transformation. So we'll be reading words, but we can also be leaning into Jesus and worshiping him for dying on the cross. Let me pray that that would happen. And then as I say amen, will you stand and you sing along about Christ on the cross. Jesus, thank you for loving us more than we deserve to be loved. Thank you for giving us a book that tells us who you are and who we should be. Help us to test the spirits to see if they're from you. Help us to know that that is not an academic exercise, but if we, just, if we just yield to you and fall in love with you and follow you and know who you are, that we will know clearly when there's falsehood and when there's lack of love. And we'll know when something's not of you and we'll live wiser and we'll live more loving. And so I pray that we would live more like you, that we would lean into you and love you and worship you during this song and even during our entire week, and that you would be pleased to change us because we gathered here this morning. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please?